So we finished Galatians. And uh, mixed feelings about that, I said. <laughs> um, and uh, July is going to be a fun month. August, we have our August series getting lined up and planned. That's amazing. We have those little mini interviews and the slightly shorter preaches. We're going to do that this year on the, the, the Wired theme, those four subjects. That's going to be amazing. And um, so for July, um, we've got uh, baptism next Sunday, Simon speaking. We've got an outdoor service. Uh, and I'm going to meet my brother's church that day. So all a little bit different. And I thought, what can we do in July? And I thought, you know what? You know, I, I'm going to go back to a few of my old, 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 old preachers. I'm old in my look. Uh, and uh, most of you won't remember these. In fact, even if you're here, I doubt you'll remember them because they probably weren't that memorable. And I wanted to call them my greatest hits. But that sounded a bit arrogant. <laughs> so I just call them old messages or something. So anyway, I'm going to kick him off with one of those today. And I hope you find it helpful. And it starts like this. There's a big idea. Um, well, perhaps it's come out of my head. Perhaps it's a small idea. But we'll call it a big idea uh, and we'll go with it. And it goes like this. Jesus won his personal battles in private first. So when he faced those same issues in public, he'd already settled it. He'd already dealt with the character issues. He'd already diffused any potential time bombs. He'd already settled the agenda for his life and ministry before he ever faced them in public ministry. And, you know, this meant that whatever the enemy threw at him, and Jesus knew that he would, and indeed he did, it had already been well and truly dealt with ahead of time. Jesus won his personal battles in private first, so when he faced the same issues in public, he'd already settled it. Let me give you a practical example. When, and some of you have been there, when your child first acts up in Tesco, isn't the time to initiate a discipline plan. I've seen some fearsome contests, and the parent rarely wins. My advice, don't play. Just swallow your pride, take the humiliation, go back and lay the foundations in private first. Because the point is you have to settle the issues at home first in private, behind closed doors. And it's there that you develop the tools and the methods then to win the next battle in public. Some more examples. Andy Murray doesn't start working on that bold second serve in his first round warm-up. Spends hours on the practice court with his coach so it becomes so finely grooved that when the pressure's on, when he's match point down, when the sun's in his eyes and the wind is swirling, it is natural and it is instinctive. 
I've got two more examples, also sporting. Anyone know, know Jason Kenny? He's the guy who's won, I think, seven Olympic gold medals in the cycling velodrome. And I understand that he spent literally hour after hour after hour on his own cycling around that velodrome, looking over his shoulder the whole way. You know how that works, that pursuit where the person behind you is trying to nip out and get to that line before you and they kind of play cat and mouse all the way around at the last minute, they charge for the line. So he spent hours just cycling around, looking over his shoulder. And one of my favorites, uh, my, my kids have taken this one on board, Johnny Wilkinson, who kicked that winning goal on November the 22nd, 2003 in the World Cup final, that winning drop goal. You know, I understand that he used to go out and practice his goal kicking on Christmas Day. Do you know why he did that? Because he knew he'd be the only one. <laughs> and he reckoned that gave him quite a considerable psychological advantage. I told my kids that. They always go for a run on Christmas morning. Don't know how he got up at five o'clock. Goodness, how they managed that. So, so here's why that principle is so important. The road ahead is riddled with potholes. Life is full of challenges. And the same recurring issues have the nasty habit of biting you where it hurts. And you know what? Our instinctive and our emotional and our whimsical reactions seldom help. You know, sometimes anger comes out. Maybe it's fear or impatience, or pride. And do you know what? We fail the test again. And back around that same old mountain we go with our tail between our legs. And here's the point. If you haven't figured out how you are going to respond, if you haven't developed a well-thought-out strategy, you place yourself in the whim of the moment, at the mercy of your mood. Therefore, the key is this. You must train yourself to point to the point that love and faith and the Word of God and the Holy Spirit, those are the responses that become for you instinctive and habitual. In other words, you have to win those battles and settle those issues in private first. Okay, I've put Jesus forward as our, our example of this. Let's, let's have a look and see how he exemplified this principle. And we see it in the Bible playing out in three distinct episodes. First of all, and you probably know where I'm going with this. First of all, right at the start, Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness. Immediately after his, his baptism, before the Luke 4.18 launch of his ministry, reading from the book of Isaiah, Mark 1.12 says, the Spirit then compelled Jesus to go into the wilderness where he was tempted by Satan for 40 days. I wonder what did Jesus face there? What issues needed to be settled? The Holy Spirit compelled him, remember? The Holy Spirit took him there. What major demons 
did Jesus need to defeat in the desert? Let's quickly read that passage. I thought we'd go old school today. No handouts, no PowerPoints. So I'm going to read from Luke 4. So if you can be old-fashioned with me, get your Bibles out. Verse 1, Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River, his baptism, and he was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing at all that time and became very hungry. Then the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, Tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. But Jesus told him, no. The scriptures say people do not live by bread alone. Then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them, the devil said, because they are mine to give to anyone I please. I'll give it all to you if you'll worship me. Jesus replied, the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem to the highest point of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect and guard you and they will hold you up with your hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, the scriptures also say you must not put the Lord your God to the test. Verse 13, when the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. So what was the devil testing here? First one, if you are the son of God, tell the stone to become bread. The first test was all about identity. It was about using his great power for his own benefit. In this case, to gratify his own flesh and to meet his own personal needs. And the second one, uh, the devil said, See the, the kingdoms of this world, I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them. Here we see the temptation to, to compromise, to take a shortcut, to achieve political power and control and actually to get there, avoiding the inevitable death. And the third one, if you are the son of God, jump off the temple and he will order his angels. This was the temptation to misuse his power, to abuse scripture, and to quickly and spectacularly prove that he was the Messiah. And I went through that quickly. And the point is he dealt with the identity issues there in the wilderness. He, he dealt with his motivations. He dealt with compromise and shortcuts. And he also settled his ministry purpose and strategy. How he would use or abuse the anointing of God. For whom? Would it be for God's specific purposes or would it be to show off? And would he use that power out of compassion? Would he use it to serve or would he use it for personal gratification? And here's the point. Jesus would encounter these issues every day. 
And so he faced them head on in the wilderness before he even started. The devil pressed the buttons for sure, but the Holy Spirit compelled it. The Father permitted it. And Jesus wholeheartedly embraced it. So that was scenario number one. Scenario number two is Jesus, we know, took frequent, frequent retreats to a solitary place to pray. Here's an example. Mark 1, 35. Before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. Later, Simon and the others went out to find him. When they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. But Jesus replied, we must go on to the other towns as well, and I will preach to them too. That is why I came. Now, if you read that chapter, look at the context of that passage. They had just had a stunning night of ministry. They'd healed and delivered multitudes. Everyone was excited for the next night of the revival. But Jesus' mandate, his mission, his strategy had already been determined. So they moved on. And so powerful though that the wilderness experience was for Jesus, he repeatedly, regularly took himself back to that place. You see, he recognized the need for frequent top-ups for opportunities to, to refocus and to re-consecrate. Here's an idea I, I really like, a recommendation. We should, we should divert daily. We should withdraw weekly. And we should abandon annually. And this is why early morning devotions are such a good plan. Those kind of retreat times where, where our attitudes get recalibrated and our agendas for the day get settled. Where the Lord has the opportunity to prepare you for what lies ahead. There's a quote from a minister called John Henry Jowett. He was minister at the famous Westminster Chapel just after World War I. And he said, it is in the field of prayer that life's critical battles are lost or won. We must conquer all our circumstances there. We must first of all bring them there. We must survey them there. We must master them there. In prayer, we bring our spiritual enemies into the presence of God and we fight them there. Have you tried that? Or have you been satisfied to meet and fight your foes in the open spaces of Tesco. He actually said, sorry, of the world. I just changed that. Scenario number three, you probably know where I'm going, is Gethsemane, the Garden of Gethsemane. But the night before his biggest test, the moment of truth, and Jesus retreated to process, to contend on his knees to do serious business, with his father. And again, the point is, with all that was about to take place, Jesus won the battle the night before. So when the guards turned up, 
It had already been settled. Just read that passage, Matthew 26, 36. Then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane, and he said, sit here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little farther and bowed with his face to the ground, praying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. There it is right there. It's going to be your will. It's going to be your eternal purposes, not my preservation or, or my safety. It was settled. It was dealt with. It was done and dusted. Well, what did Jesus say and do at the point of his arrest? How was he able to reach that place of peace and of certainty? What did Jesus say from the cross? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Don't tell me that was easy to say with his flesh literally screaming at him in pain. But again, the point, he'd already won that battle in private. What did Jesus say at his trial? The answer, precious little. How was he able to ignore the taunts? How was he able to resist that, that, that tugging temptation to justify himself? Compare that with Peter. The apostle Peter who, who palpably, singularly failed the Gethsemane test. And who ended up slicing off the guard's ear and going on to deny Jesus three times. Again, the point, Jesus had already won the battle in private first. But Peter hadn't yet. So when he found himself in the heat of the battle, Peter crashed and burned spectacularly. Here's the danger. If we don't win the battle in private, we end up fighting all our battles in public and it'll be ugly. We'll be unprepared. The devil will have a field day at our expense and we'll end up defeated and discouraged and full of shame and stuck in that loop. So folks, what must we do? The answer is we must win the battle in private first. In the desert, up the mountain, in the garden. Four things I think we should do and we'll go through them quickly. Number one is we need to deal with the character issues. Number two, we need to define our identity. Number three, we need to predetermine our strategy. And number four, we need to settle the agenda. Let's quickly work our way through those and then we'll be done. First of all, in the private place, we need to deal with the character issues. Let me ask questions like this. What, what potholes do you keep falling in? 
What are the weaknesses, the flaws, the character flaws in you that keep being exposed with an old series in mind? What are the immaturities that need to be outgrown? And again, the point, if you don't go before the Lord and deal with those, they will keep coming back to bite you. Issues like this. Have I dealt with the honesty, integrity issue once and for all so it is settled permanently? Issues like this. How am I going to react when that vulnerable wound is agitated? How can I stop myself from overreacting and lashing out? And you know what, folks? It'll be the same people. It'll be the same issues. And if you don't overcome, you'll keep marching around the same mountain. Issues like this, number three. Am I going to, am I going to turn the other cheek? Am I going to forgive or fester? Am I going to choose bitter or better? Am I going to offer grace or is it going to be anger? And then fourthly, issues like this. How am, I, how am I going to fulfill those dreams? Is it going to be pushing and maneuvering and meddling? Or is it going to be patiently trusting the Lord? Is it going to be self-promotion? Or is it going to be the pursuit of radical humility? Again, the point we deal with those in private first when they rise in the heat of battle rather than relying on the whim of the moment, the emotion that's stirring, it is settled and dealt with. Two quick personal um, example stories. Uh, many years ago, I was playing cricket at the recreation ground with my uncle. And uh, we'd been there for quite a while. And, and right at the very end... Um, he had realised he had a golf ball in his bag. And so we wondered what would happen if you hit a golf ball with a cricket bat. Anyway, so I think he threw the golf ball against the wall and I played a nice defensive shot and this thing just flew off my bat. And it went through the fence, into the road, smacked on the side of a car... And we went, oh, no. My uncle said the only word that any sane person would speak, run! <laughs> I said, I can't. I cannot. I've caused that. I've done it. I need to go and I need to face the consequences for that. How grown up was that? I was only a teenager. My mum would have been so proud. <laughs> but the point is, it, it had been settled for me. You know, that, that action... Deserved consequence. I needed to be truthful to myself and to the Lord. The good news is the story, the car had obviously driven off. We never found the gold, but all was well. That's story number one. Story number two was when I was pastoring in Canada, and one of my very, very exciting jobs was to count the offering and to enter all into the system. No, I'm not volunteering. Um, and on one occasion, I found a $20 bill on my desk. I have a pastor's salary, folks. 
$20 shiny bill sitting on my desk. You know, that could very, very easily have slipped into my pocket and no one would have known. But you know what? For me, the financial battle had been fought and won years before. I, I don't need to wrestle with myself every month. Should I tithe or not? Because that was settled decades ago. Psalm 139, verse 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. You know, we need, we need to ask the Lord to search our hearts, to identify the issues that need to be deeply consecrated. And then we need to take each one to the Lord as he brings them to the surface and then cooperate with him as he leads us on that transforming journey. So number one is deal with those character issues. Number two is define your identity. You know, and I reckon this was Jesus' defining test, his primary test, if you like, in the desert. If you are the son of God, if. You know, what you do will be driven primarily by who you think you are. And like that hall ground, uh, fair, fairground hall of mirrors, a, a distorted identity will lead to pervading forces like fear and doubt and competition and comparison beating you up repeatedly. The danger is we spend our whole lives trying to gain and obtain the very thing that Jesus purchased for us on the cross. And once we know with certainty who we are in Christ, once we know with certainty the armor that we have been given to wear the rock upon which we stand, then we are infinitely stronger and more resilient and better prepared for the inevitable battles ahead. And again, the point is we get that settled in private first. So when it rises in the heat of the moment, it's been settled. Number three, go through these quick. Number three is predetermine the strategy. And I'm going to use our parental discipline as a test case. What are you going to do when the Tesco tantrum kicks in? Or the Waitrose wobblies? The Morrison's mania? The Asda avalanche? The Sainsbury showdown? Where are you going to find the grace and the patience and the wisdom you need? Where do those boundaries need to go? And how do you teach them to your kids? What do you reward? What do you sanction? And the reality is, if you are a parent, you get this every day. And you, if you leave this stuff to the whim of the moment or the power of that mood, you'll get munched. 
So you have to predetermine the principles that you're going to stand on. You have to predetermine the values you're going to live by. The priorities as a parent you are going to focus on. You have to do the work. You have to pray the prayers. You have to have those conversations. You have to hammer that stake firmly into the ground and let it anchor what you do and when, how, and why you do it. So number three, predetermine the strategy. Finally, number four, settle the agenda. You know, Jesus was faced with endless options. He faced insatiable need, huge crowds. He had a whole world to reach. If Jesus hadn't settled the agenda right at the beginning, his task would have been impossible. And in running around trying to please everyone, he might never even have made it to the cross. I guess in a nutshell, his, his job was to train 12 so they could then subsequently go out to reach the world. So what agendas do you have to settle? Could it be your purpose? Could it be your calling? Whether that be a life calling or whether that be an in-this-season purpose. And of course, it's obvious to say that if you aim at everything, you will inevitably hit nothing. Running parallel to that is, is, is work out what your purpose is not. Don't allow yourself to be sidetracked there. Don't allow yourself to be, to be dragged out of your gifting or calling. Dragged into spheres that you're really not supposed to operate in because you'll probably get munched if you do. And do you know what? It is the message. It's so helpful to get that settled first. Then when you deal with it in your daily life, which you will, it's already been dealt with. Here are some other agendas that, that we all need to settle. Do I want to be right? or kind? Is it about pleasing me or pleasing God? Is it about me looking good or God looking good? Does it matter to me who gets the glory? Am I building my kingdom or his? Am I trusting myself or am I trusting the Lord? And again, the point, if we don't settle those on our knees, they will be exposed in the arena. You know, the Holy Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness. And I'm pretty sure he'll make sure that you spend some time there too. And God, who, who searches our hearts, is in the business of teasing these issues out over time. Because he knows that if we don't face them head on, we will keep on losing. If we don't sort out the motivation issues, we'll waste a lot of energy fighting the wrong battles. 
But if we do settle those issues in private first, it will be so much easier when we face them in the heat of battle. Here's the good news. The great thing about winning the battle in private first is the next time it rears its ugly head, it's already been disarmed. You already know the agenda that's trying to derail you. You already know the strings the enemy's trying to pull, the, the pothole he's trying to get you to fall into. And you can almost laugh at it and say, is that the best you've got? My revelation personally of this was, was back a long, long time ago in my 20s, and I was attending a church in South London. And I got the honor of preaching there about three or four times a year. We lived quite a long way away. And so I had quite a long drive into South London. Not a joy. M25, remember that? Um, and do you know what happened? And this happened a couple of times. It's just as I was in the last mile or so, right before we got to the church, uh, just in that last moment, someone, some numpty, would cut me off, would drive out, would come flying out of a driveway without looking. And do you know what it would do? It kind of shook me up in the last mile. Right? I'm preparing to preach up a storm, right? I prayed, got up early and walked and prayed, all that kind of thing. But you know what? I'm a bit slow. But about the third time this happened, I kind of tweaked it. And I realized what was going on. In the last five minutes, the enemy was trying to knock me right off my confidence. And so do you know what? The next time, Julia, I'm driving in to preach, the same thing happens again. And I'm able to chuckle to myself and say, is that the best you can do? Because in that particular situation, the issue had now been settled. That the battle had been won. And so I was no longer vulnerable to the whim of the moment. Okay, so to summarize, we finish. Settle those personal battles in private. So when you face the same issue in public, it's already been won. We can see how pivotal this was for Jesus. Do you know what? We do well to follow his example. Don't be afraid of the wilderness. Don't be afraid of going up the mountain. Don't be afraid of the garden. Be encouraged to, how to go, divert daily and withdraw weekly and abandon annually. Get it sorted. Get it settled. Drive that stake in the ground once and for all. Ask the worship team if they wouldn't mind coming back up to the front. We'll set up the response. We're doing really well for time today, which is great. So how do we respond to that? Pretty obvious, I would think. But I would encourage you this morning before the Lord to ask him, what is the battle that needs to be won? What is the issue that needs to be settled? What is the stake that needs to be driven into the ground? If you're not sure, ask your wife. 
She'll tell you. But you know what the reality is? I suspect that the Holy Spirit has been whispering this uncomfortably in your ear for the last 36 minutes, 12 seconds. So ask him. And then, do you know what? Take it, take it to the Lord in private, in the secret place, in your prayer closet, up that mountain. Deal with it once and for all. What we'll do this morning is I'll, I'll hop back on the, the keyboard in just a second. Uh, we're going to offer prayer ministry over this side.